0: river valley i am very excited today that we have matthew barnett on video he came and spoke to our staff meeting and it was so good he spoke about seven marathons on seven continents in seven days the download of what he got in leadership and what god spoke to him was so good i wanted you to hear it now he went a little long in our staff meeting so we're going to join him in progress but it's worth listening to he's the founder of the la dream center and he's got something to say so open up your hearts get ready to receive as we hear from matthew barnett today in 2015, I was playing in a church softball game, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't breathe running to first base. Now, I was out of shape, like I am now, but I, I, I was out of shape, but I couldn't realize, like, why am I tired, like, jogging to first. But we kept winning and I know I needed to go to the hospital, but when you keep winning, you don't go to the hospital, right? When you're on a winning streak, you just keep playing. And so we played six games in one day and finally at the end of the day, I could barely even move. And then the game was over, I went to the doctor, I said, doctor, what is wrong? I can't even breathe, what's taking place here? And he did x-rays and found that I had blood clots in my lungs, both of them, a pulmonary embolism that was completely blocking both of my lungs. And I looked at the doctor and I said, well, doctor, I'm planning on going on a vacation tomorrow. He said, you're just lucky to be alive. I go, really? He said, you should be dead. I said, I should? He said, yes. Have you ever been to the doctor and you defied all medical reasoning and they got mad at you for being alive? That's kind of what was going on. He was mad at me for being alive. He's like, you should be dead. I'm sorry, doctor, I'm alive. And, uh, and so he said, you're going to need to go home and we're going to do shots every day. So this nurse would come in and, uh, and she would put, you know, put inject the needle in my, in my stomach. And, but I'll never forget the words he spoke as that doc- doctor came in every day. I'll never forget the words he said. He said, you're going to be healed and, and you'll probably be okay. He said, but at least you'll never run a marathon as long as you live. I'm like, well, who cares? Like, why is that an insult? I was thinking, you know. And, but then I was raised around Tommy Barnett. And Tommy Barnett has always, always says that when someone puts a limitation, that's the call of God, that you ought to go beyond it, right? As I've spoken this morning. And so while they were putting that needle in my stomach, I thought to myself, she said, he said I could never run a marathon. I'm gonna run a marathon. I, I'd never wanted to, but you said I can't, so I'm gonna do it, you know? And, and so when they were done, the, the nurse, I got my Rocky Four soundtrack, you know, the, when he's going to the mountains. And I, dun, 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 dun you know, all those music, you know, and I put on my, and I started walking around the block. I could barely breathe because my lungs were still healing but I was walking around the block, and then I did my first lap around the track, and then I did my first marathon. Uh, a, a year later, the LA Marathon, I finished in like four hours and 45 minutes or something, and I was so excited, and it was a monumental victory, and then I said, praise the Lord, I'm done. I proved the doctor wrong, and I'll never run a marathon again, and then uh, the, the team came up to me and said, come on, Pastor, it was a good fundraiser when you do it. Can you just do one a year? So I said, okay, I'll do one a year. So I decided to do one a year, and 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 I was done with with, uh, the one a year. And I was just doing a little training, um, kind of a cool down the day after, just walking around the track to loosen my legs. And I get a text message from somebody in my church. And the the text pulled up and it said, 777. I'm like, wow, I mean, does this guy have a prophetic word on the coming of the Lord? or I mean, what, what is this all about, you know? And, but it was very vague. And then I said, yes, praise the Lord, 777, you know? And, and then he responded back with a, with a message about these crazy people who are running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. And then he responded to me and he said, Pastor Matthew, he said, you ought to do this. Now, do you have people in your church that are so good at volunteering you to do things that they would never do themselves? Yes, this is that man. And and I responded back. I said, these are wonderful people. Congratulations to them. They're great. And then he responded back. He said, if you do this, I know the Dream Center is in some really difficult financial times right now. He said, but if you do this, he said, I will give the Dream Center $100,000. And suddenly I felt healed, you know, it's like a feeling in my bones, about, you know. and uh, So I said, okay, I'll do it. Have you ever committed yourself to something because you needed a miracle right now? So he goes, I'll give you $100,000 if you commit right now in seven days. I said, I'm in. And then I realized, oh my goodness, seven marathons. I said, well, but it's, a year, it's a year away from now, so I'm fine, right? Have you ever committed yourself to something a year away thinking that it would never come? But the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, it always takes place. It always occurs at some point. And so I was training. I was doing about, about 60 miles a week, and then 70 miles. I was up to 80 miles of running a week. Only 15 months ago this is, took place. About 80 miles a week of training that I was doing. And I would go into the office after I was done, at nine o'clock after running, like 16 miles in the morning, and I was getting ready. And then ESPN and, and Sports Illustrated came out, and they interviewed me, and they said, do you realize who was doing Doing this, this run. I said, no. They said, these are ultra marathoners. These are people that have done all these great exploits. And I begin to read their biographies. And one guy said he ran the volcano marathon. I'm like, did he run in a volcano? This guy's amazing, you know. And, and everyone had run like 60 marathons or 50 marathons. And, and they labeled me the World Marathon Challenge. Out of 33 runners, I was rated the world's most inexperienced runner. You got to be famous for something, right? So I might as well be famous for that. And so I didn't know what I was getting into. I've run like four my whole life. They go, how many of you run? I said, four. And they said... Oh, good luck with that. And uh, so we get there, and so the first marathon we're running is in Antarctica. And so Ryan Hall, the greatest marathoner, American, who ran 204 Boston Marathon, he heard I was doing this. He felt bad for me. He's on the left right there. He came out of retirement. He gained 50 pounds of muscle mass because he was tired of being a marathoner. And 50 pounds, and, and decided to run with me. Ryan, The great Ryan Hall went with me. Our first marathon, we get on this plane. It's an old Terminator type of cargo plane there it is and i mean it's it's nothing special whatsoever and we have to wear these red coats on there because they kept telling us when you land in Antarctica, it's gonna be the coldest place you've ever been in your life. We're landing on a glacier. It's gonna look like a planet when you get there. And when you get there, it's gonna be about negative 30 degrees, usually that's the temperature, so be ready to wear these coats. You have to have the coat on or you'll freeze. And you've gotta wear sunscreen because that's 24 hours a day of sunlight and you gotta put sunscreen up your nose because it'll hit off the ground and go up your nose and give you a nostril burn and so all these things, they tell you to go to Antarctica. And so we're getting there. We get off the plane, and then as we step off, the guy said, wow, it's kind of unusually warm today. It's zero degrees, which is like a sunny day in Minnesota. But uh, it's zero degrees. And. Uh, and so uh, we, we couldn't believe it. We were like, it's really not that bad. And I told Ryan Hall, I said, see, the Lord is trying to tell us that this trip is going to be easy. That, you know, that, that it's not going to be difficult. The Lord's going to just, every step of the way, it's going to be perfect, you know. And and so we got off, and I got cocky. I took my red coat off. I went to the start line in Antarctica by the camp. And um, we haven't started yet, but I'm taking pictures there with my lighter jacket on, and I'm dabbing on Antarctica, you know. and just I'm just totally disrespectful. Respecting and thinking it was always going to be this way. But the winds change in Antarctica. <laughs> In the middle of the night, uh, me and Ryan Hall slept in this tent that was about 100 yards away from the uh, bathroom. This is how we had to sleep at night right there. With everything on, this warm jacket on, this is how we had to sleep. And we made a, we made a decision that we would not judge each other regarding water bottles in the tent because we didn't want to walk to the bathroom, if you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, so uh, we just slept 24 hours a day, and there we were and, uh, in the tent, ready to go. And then the, the, the director came up to us and said, the weather's good. We can get started right now that the 168 hours that we must complete, all seven marathons, can begin right now. Who's ready? It's warm. I'm like, I'm in. And some of the guys from Czech Republic were like, no, we must see the beauty of Antarctica. I'm like, I've seen it. You know, it's like Chevy Chase in the Grand Canyon and it's good, I'm ready, let's go. Uh, But nobody, everybody wanted to wait a day, so we waited a day, and that was the biggest mistake, Is when the gun went off in Antarctica, we were running in negative 30 degree temperatures, 50 mile an hour headwinds on the back side of the course. So you would run a six mile loop, and the first half was beautiful, and the second half was winds that were so strong that the, the speed walkers were running just as fast as the runners were. And um, our energy jails were gone, and, and we all had frostbite on our feet. And as I was running, I got to the first loop after six miles, and I was freezing. It was so cold, I could not even believe how cold it was. And this guy yells out from the side. He said, hang in there. This is what he said. And this is what I learned lesson number one in Antarctica. He, he said, progress isn't about going fast. It's about gaining ground. And I thought to myself, if I ever get out of this alive, I'm going to use it in a sermon one day, you know? And, uh, and I realized that it really is that way sometimes in leadership. Progress isn't always about gaining big ground. It's about keeping your feet moving no matter what. It's about fighting sometimes for that inch of growth or, or the little things that keep you going along the way. And, and, uh, and as he said those words, I thought about the journey of the Dream Center for 23 years. And now people think it's been this overnight success, but can I tell you, it's been a fight for one room at a time in that 400,000 square foot hospital. It's been a fight for one meal at a time. It's been a battle, but after 23 years, if you just keep taking a lot of little steps along the way, of course God will give you the big victories along the way as well. But if you just never stop despising the little bit of success that God gives you along the way, One day it's going to add up to something big and as we're seeing here and this revival of this church, miracles happening all over the city. And I realize that you can gain a whole lot of ground just by keeping your feet moving forward against that wind. And as we got to the finish line, I looked up and I saw that plane that was getting ready to land, because it has to land uh, quickly, because it can freeze, and we have to get back on the plane. We got some food in the tent, and we were done. And uh, we, they were treating our frostbite on our feet, because it was so cold. And then we got on the plane, and we flew to marathon number two in that old plane to Chile. Now, we got to Chile, it was amazing. It was uh, warm, 55 degrees, and uh, we landed there. And right when we landed, about 10 hours after the first flight, they said, okay, are you guys ready? You got two hours. We're going to the start line to run our second marathon in Chile. Now, nobody ever runs back-to-back marathons because you're so sore the next day. And we were feeling it, and I thought to myself, how in the world are we going to run marathon number two? But we got to the start in Chile, and as, a, as the gun went off, we were tight for the first five or six miles, but something began to happen. Our bodies began to warm up a little bit, and we were feeling kind of good. And As a matter of fact, after 13 miles, I looked, and I round, and in one marathon, I wanted to run. Just one, I wanted to run under four hours. That was my goal. And I was kind of feeling like this might be the one, and I was like two hours split on the first half, and, and, and that was my big goal, to run one under four hours. Something inside of me, though, had that old voice that said, well, why don't you hold back because something bad could happen later, so hold back right now. So I did. I held back, unfortunately. And uh, that was the best I ever felt on the marathon challenge. And I, and I didn't hit the four-hour mark. I Because of fear, I went to like 4.16 or something like that. and And, and I wanted to hold something back. Now, you're going to think that that's probably a good idea. But the truth is, I learned lesson number two in the marathon in Chile. That is that sometimes in life, you got to learn how to seize the moment when it's there. And many times in leadership, when things are going good, when God has given us a season of momentum, when our legs are feeling good, our ministry is feeling good, blessings are coming, we usually say to ourselves, oh man, we must we must hold back because something bad could happen. There are times when God gives you momentum. There are seasons of miracles in your life that you must learn to seize the moments when they're there. We are oftentimes good at putting our head down and running against the wind, but God wants us to learn to run with the wind, to seize victories in those moments of miracles that God gives us along the way, to seize those opportunities. And every time that God's given us a new blessing at the Dream Center, we've started a new ministry. God's given us a season of blessing, and now we're opening up our home for women veterans. We're opening it up next month for 18 beds for women veterans. We had a, a breakthrough in our men's uh, veterans program. And, and, and every season of blessing, we have learned not just to fight in adversity, but to learn how to grow in prosperity. But because of fear of something bad that could happen, I held back and I didn't. Number two, learn how to seize the moment when it's there. Some of you are in a, a moment of blessing. Don't be fearful when you're being blessed. Don't say bad things could happen. Roll with the season that God has given you and keep praying for rain even when it's raising, even when it's raining. And I finished in Chile and then they said, "Okay, we're done." Now we're going to North America, Miami, and so now we're on the plane and reality is setting in. It is getting tough. I mean, our legs are starting to swell. My feet are swelling up. We're on this old plane. It's it's not the greatest. It's a decent plane, but it's not the greatest. My feet's getting big. I have no idea why there's a spoon next to my foot. I'm losing my mind. And uh, so the, the, the my foot's getting big. It's puffing up, you know. And we're all sleeping with our feet up because putting your feet down, the blood's flowing in the wrong direction. And some people are sleeping upside down. See those little, how the plane goes down there at the feet? And this guy's sleeping upside down in order to uh, get blood flow to his brain. And I mean, we're trying all this crazy stuff. And we get to North America, and now we're starting to feel a little bit miserable. Can I be honest? Tired, weary, cranky, and uh, just fatigued. And we get off in Miami, and America is there. The press is there. I mean, the biggest coverage we got was in Miami. And, and I was tired and we got to the start line, but something got revived on the inside because when I got to Miami, I had my family there. I had my church there. I had leaders from across America were there. And something happened in Miami. This is what I learned is that family and friends can make us perform at a higher level. There is a man who beat me in every marathon, in every race I was following him, and he was wearing Speedos every single time we ran. And so I followed this dude in Speedos every single race. And one time, I said, God, one time I want to beat this guy in the short shorts, I want to beat him, you know, and, and uh, during one of the races in Miami, I, I was able to beat him only in Miami. I ran my fastest time actually in Miami and in the middle of the heat on Miami Beach and number three, and here's the reason why is because every time I ran there was somebody behind me throwing water on me from my family and friends behind me. I went the whole race with somebody just basically throwing fresh water and keeping me cool. I had an unfair advantage over the rest of the field. And I believe that the church should be a home court advantage. I believe that when people come coming of the house of God, they ought to believe that they can perform at a level in life and in their family that is so powerful. And as we were running that race uh, along the side, the Americans were so cheerful. They were clapping and uh, they had little stations. One lady had a 7-Eleven Slurpees she was giving away. And my mind was completely blown. I thought all these great runners were eating like natural herbs and some of the greatest runners in the world were running that. I was wrong. They were eating chocolate bars and sodas and they were just living on crazy sugar the entire time. And, uh, And so they were giving away Slurpees. There's Ryan Hall eating donuts and I I don't think he's doing something bad with his finger. He's not. I think all of us are losing senses in our fingers and so and naturally he did that. So he made me he's a very good Christian man. But uh, but he was eating donuts and all of us we were just <laughs> we were just trying to survive. And uh, as, as we were running one of the stations, they were like, hey, we got these pills. I'm like, great, what are they? And they're like, well, they're..." I am like, "I just receive it by faith. You know, I, I don't know what they were, man. I just, I think they were salt tablets or whatever. But I was just receiving everything on that counter by faith. And uh, don't judge me on my journey. Please don't. Amen. But I got to the end we're in my fastest time because family and friends allow us to perform at a higher level. And they put that medal medal around my neck in Miami and I was excited. And then we were off to Madrid, the quickest turnaround of all. From Miami to Madrid was a fast, like 12-hour turnaround between running and running the next marathon. So we got to Madrid and now this is our life now. We land, we go to customs. We go to the start line. Land, custom, we change in bathrooms. We change in the airport bathrooms everywhere that we went. So we landed and there's me in the middle when I was skinny, evidence that I was skinnier then. There's another uh, random Canadian dude on the left that snuck into a picture. And uh, we're changing in the bathrooms here and we're just we're just losing our mind, man. When we go to the start line in Madrid and we take off and we're just kind of doing the, our zombie runs, you know, we're kind of running like this. and And then in the middle of that run in Madrid, I tore my patella tendon in my knee right in the middle of my run and I had the partial tear in that, in that knee and as I, was, as I came back to the station, the guy looked at it and, I, and he evaluated and he said, you can't go on. He said, you can't continue this journey. And I was, as I was on um, uh, Marathon 4, it was like a three-mile loop. We kept coming back to base camp after three miles. And I just wept because I thought about all the people at the Dream Center that said, Pastor, if you finish this race, I'm going to finish rehab. If you finish this race, I'm going to get my GED to all the homeless moms that live in our building and families. And I thought about all the people that said, as long as you do this journey, I, if you can do this, I can do this. And I was so devastated because I knew that it was coming to an end and I couldn't help them. And I said, well, could you just give me like a, a couple of minutes? I just need to walk back over here and I'll come back. I just don't want to cry in public. And so I took a little, a little walk um, back on the track again. And as I began to walk, I wept and I, I broke down. And I cried like I've never cried. I'm not a crier, but I was losing it. I just, I'm crying from the depths of my stomach and as, and as I was weeping and I came to the end of my prayer, I learned lesson number four in Madrid. Sometimes you need a good breakdown to get to a breakthrough. Many times we don't allow ourselves to have a little breakdown, to have ourselves a spiritual time before God. where We just pour our heart out. And what I have learned at the end of a breakdown, there's something that happens. God gives you a solution usually at the end of that brokenness. And at the end of my tears, God spoke to me. He said, he said, I know your heart's devastated, but this is what God spoke to me so clearly. He said, why don't you just lock your left leg? God gave me a strategy, a breakthrough after my breakdown. He said, just lock your left leg and just, it was like a, the gangster limp, you know, and trust the other muscles you use in your training and just Frankenstein limp it the whole way back. And so I locked my left leg and I went to camp. And I got there, I said, guys, I'm gonna go back for one more lap and one more lap. And then I said, you know what, God, I'm just gonna finish this one and get my fourth medal in Madrid, and it's gonna be awesome. And I just, I I mean, it was so much pain, but I got to the end and people were cheering. They were saying, hey, well, at least you got your fourth medal. And this was great. It was a very monumental moment. We went to the restaurant. They threw a little party for me to say thank you for trying and being an inspiration. And it was over. I was calling to go back to L.A. And I felt like it was a moral victory finishing number four. And everyone was getting on the bus, getting ready to go to number five, Morocco. Um, And God spoke to me. He said, this is what God spoke to me. He said, Joe, so just get on the bus and just do one more marathon. God has been playing that trick on me every day of my life in ministry. Just give me one more day in ministry. I can't go on. I'm going to quit, God. I don't need you to give me one more year. Just give me one more day. It just keeps on working. Just, he goes, go on the bus to Morocco and I'm going to do a miracle. And so I said, okay. The guy's are like, you're going back on the bus? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, they're celebrating again. And they're like, go, go, go. So we're flying to Morocco and we get there and uh, we land in Africa for our marathon number five. And and I, I had a vision. I thought what was gonna happen is I was gonna just start off, the gun was gonna go off and I was gonna be like Forrest Gump because I believe in healing. Like I believe the healing is so natural, it's like the air that we breathe. But I had a vision that, that it was gonna happen this way. The gun was gonna go off and I was just gonna run and like the braces would fall off like Forrest Gump. Remember in the movie, he just can can run forever. Well... God was doing a miracle in a different kind of way. Because when the gun went off, I tried to sprint and I fell flat on my face. And I said, Lord, why hath thou forsaken me? And uh, I'm in Morocco and these armed guards are watching us because of the safety. of Some of the girls have been threatened on the marathon. And uh, so we had to have all these, uh, um, we've had threats on our lives literally before we got there. And they were just kind of watching us. And I was limping along. And then I learned lesson number five in Morocco. And I learned that don't even think about how far you've got to go. The dangerous journey of life is feeling as us, feel, it's great to have goals, it's great to have dreams, but sometimes we can be so bogged down with worrying about how far we have to go that we cannot enjoy the moment that we are at. And God spoke to me, he said, you got 26 miles to go. If you think about that, you'll never get there. And then he showed me these lampposts. These lampposts that were lining the, the middle of the entire track. And I looked at those lampposts and God spoke to me. He said, limp limp, jog one lamppost and walk the next one. And so I would do this for one lamppost and then I would just walk. And I would do this for the next and I would walk. We have eight hours to finish the marathons where we are eliminated from the competition. And so I limped one and walked one. And that's Michael Wardian in the back, the guy in the back right. It was like a figure of Jesus coming from behind, right? But uh, actually, it looks like I'm beating him. He's lapping me for the sixth time. But there he is. He ran every marathon in two hours and 45 minutes, every one. And he came from behind. And he kept encouraging me. And, but I got to the end, to the finish line by not worrying about how far I had to go. All I thought about was one lamppost at a time, limp one, walk one, whatever I got to do, just keep moving forward. And my not even thinking about how far I've got to go. I was able to get to the finish line. Sometimes in ministry, we can just be so bogged down by where everyone else is at and where we feel we need to be rather than simply saying, God, just one lamppost at a time, help me to fight a good fight. All I want to do is fight a good fight. In all that ways, acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. Then we finished that and I just never even thought about 26.2. It's interesting and I still got to the finish line. And then we got on the plane, we flew to Dubai. And so we went to Dubai for marathon number six. And as we were flying out there uh, to Dubai, it was kind of crazy because I'm sure Dubai is a wonderful place. But to me, it was one of the worst places I've ever been to as far as how I was feeling at that time. Maybe I need to go back under different circumstances, but I landed in Dubai and it was warm and, and uh, we had eight hours to get to the finish line and now I, 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 my desire is to finish. I no longer wanted to quit, but now I had an eight hour time limit to get to the end and my body just wouldn't move. And so I'm moving along and I'm looking and I, I just feel like I'm not gonna make it and there's a man that was following me on Twitter and Facebook who was following my journey. And he was so inspired by this, look how crazy I look right now. And uh, he was following my journey, and he decided that that morning as he was reading the Bible in Galatians, he read the scripture that said, in love, serve one another. And he said, well, I haven't really been serving people. And he said, God, I need to bless other people. And he put his Bible down. He remembered me running the marathon challenge. He was a rugby player from South Africa who lived two weeks a month in Dubai. And he remembered that the Twitter, and so he came to the front. He said, Where's Matthew Barnett? I'm going to help him out. And they said, Well, he's not very far. If you moonwalk down the boardwalk, you'll run right into him. There he is, right down there, you know. And, uh, and so I, he came by me and he said, hey, I'm coming to join you. And I said, well, great. I'm not going to make it because I'm not going to make the time. But, you know, if you want to, come alongside. And uh, he would stretch me and do all these things to try to help me. And, and then he came alongside me. And then he, I said, well, thank you for being here, but I'm going to quit because I can't make it in time. He said, well, mate, before you quit... He goes, let me me tell you some things and ask you some questions. He started asking me questions about men's ministry. He started asking me questions. That's a pastor's greatest nightmare. You know what I'm talking about? You're dying physically, and a man wants to talk to you in the middle of a marathon about men's ministry. I'm like, I could care less about all the men in the country. They can all go to the booger man for all I care right now, you know? And, And he started talking to me about ministry, and I'm answering questions. And then he said, you know what? We have a chance. We can make this. You can get under eight hours. I said, I can? He said, yes, you can. And, then, and, and the reason why he did that, he told me, is because he was trying to get my mind off of how bad I hurt by talking about something else. And I learned in marathon number six that God will send you angels of mercy along the way. There are times where God says enough is enough. You've done all that you can do in your power. Now I need to come alongside you and help you get to where you need to go. There are times in our life where God said, you've done everything, Enough is enough. And he sends you angels of mercy along the way. And some of you leaders have been doing the best that you possibly can, but God's about to get ready to do something in your life. You're walking on that road, and angels of provision, and angels of encouragement, as we even heard this morning, are coming alongside you in the middle of your race, if you just keep going. Angels of mercy along the way. And finally, number seven. We were on the plane flying to Australia, and in the middle of the flight, for the first time, I slept 10 hours in seven days. 10 hours is crazy, in seven full days, sleeping on airplanes, and I, for the first time, I fell asleep for two hours. My heart started racing and beating in the middle of my sleep, and I woke up, and my heart was racing so much, I felt like it was gonna come out of my chest. I didn't know what was happening to my body. I thought maybe it was my blood clots that were coming back, and I fainted in the walkway, and they sat me down, and I looked at the map, and it said that I had eight hours to still get from Dubai into Australia. And I said, oh God, I'm gonna die. I looked at the TV and there was a little Italian movie with subtitles, I said, Lord, I'm going down watching a movie that I don't even know in, in Italian subtitles, you know, and not very dramatic, exciting, waiting. And I'm looking at this clock, I'm like, God, I'm not gonna make it to the end. And I just, I mean, heart, eight hours are just my heart racing. In just a frantic way, and they landed the plane, it took me straight to the hospital, and uh, we went right through immigrations and customs and everything, and um, they, I didn't have to go through all of them. They took me straight to Manly Beach, and in the middle of the night in Manly Beach, there was nobody in the hospital, not one person in the hospital except the doctor and the nurses there, not one in the middle of the night. It was the most amazing experience. I went in, and there was this doctor, this Australian doctor, and he looked me in the eye. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I can't, I can't breathe. My heart's racing. Something's wrong with me. He said, what's wrong? I said, well, I'm running this world marathon challenge, and I kind of felt bad telling him because it was kind of an irresponsible move, you know. And, uh, and he said, that's awesome. I go, really? He goes, that's awesome. He goes, we need to get you back on the on the track." I said, really, you're a doctor? He said, yes. He said, you will regret this for the rest of your life if you don't do this. We need to get you, my journey started with an American doctor saying, you will never run a marathon as long as you live. And now it's coming to the end with a doctor that said, if you don't get back out there on the track, I'm gonna carry you out there on the track. And he, yeah, and he put a bunch of fluids in me. I don't know what he was, doing. I don't even know if he even checked me. He's like, oh, you're good, you're good. Blood great, heart good, good. You ready to go. And this tough Australian doctor sent me back on the track to run marathon number seven. To, and I got back out there and he said, you had a stress-induced panic attack from the heat and the exhaustion. He goes, I've seen him my whole life with ultra runners. He said, if you want it, though, you can get to the finish line. And I went out there, and I was running, and as I was going out there, one of the Hillsong pastors came out to join me, and he was supposed to run three miles with me, you know, to to cheer me on. He ended up running the whole marathon with me. His first one ever. He ended up running. He never even run more than three miles in his life, and now he's running a marathon. I feel like Forrest Gump, turning around to give wisdom to everybody. I had none. I just went to sleep. But as I got to the end of that marathon, I realized something so special. This is it. God can resurrect you from the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs. I went from 12 hours ago thinking I was gonna die, literally. Never felt anything like that in my life. To 12 hours later, on the beach, just completing seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. You might think it's over. There are times in your life where you really think that it's over in ministry, that there's difficult struggles in life. But just when you think it's over, God can do something so amazing to let you know that it's really just begun. And God's going to resurrect some of you from the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs in whatever area of your life. And finally, I get a call that day from ESPN. They called me. They said, Pastor, we're doing a story on people who have done incredible things. And they said, we're having ESPN plays of the day. You know what that is? The top ten plays every night on ESPN. And my my dream as a child was one day to be on uh, plays of the day. How many here know God will not only give you the things that you want, but he'll give you the things you don't even need but little whispers of your heart just so that he knows, just so that you know that he loves you. And ESPN called and said, would you mind if we show you tonight on ESPN on plays of the day? I'm like, I don't know, man. You got to talk to my agent. I'm not sure, you know. And we gave him the clip and this is only 10 seconds long, but this is my 10 seconds of glory on ESPN. Take a look. All right, so we got this marathon challenge, seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. So this is Matthew Barnett, who is Ryan Garcia's buddy, tore his knee in four of the the marathons, didn't quit, finished all seventh. Good on you. This cat right here, uh, Michael uh, Wardian, under three hours for the seven races. Seven marathons in seven days, under three hours. Very dude. But who inspired people? The one who stumbled to the victory line and the one who set the records. You have a journey in your life that's going to bless someone. And there are times when you're gonna feel that you're in the lowest of the lows, but just let that be a confirmation that everything about our inheritance was about a story where people thought it was over, only to see a resurrected Savior come forth and transform the world. You feel you're at your lowest of your lows, but you just keep going. You just keep going forward towards what God has, and he's getting ready to turn things around and take you to the highest of the highs.